0: hi everyone this is mind rolling we're back i'm ragu as you well know and i'm with somebody i've been trying to get with for some time now we have a uh, amazing uh, intersections is that what it's called from our lives and people that we know and teachers and rick jarrow welcome
1: to this show thank you yeah great to be here great to finally connect with you
0: yeah yeah same here so just to let you know of course um Danny Goldberg, who has a podcast on Be Here Now Network, uh, is a mutual friend of both Rick and mine, and we and that all stems from all the way back to a teacher that uh, Rick has been very close to, and that I did spend time with, Hilda Charlton. So indeed, that is uh, we. I've never. I have talked with Danny a little bit about Hilda, but not in a substantial way so that I'm kind of excited to uh, to to, uh, to chat about her but so there there's Rick uh, has had quite a rich life and um uh, has studied with some amazing people over the years and is uh are, you're a professor at uh, which school
1: at Vassar College At Vassar
0: Mhm that's fabulous and um uh, we're going to get all of the different aspects and rick has a lot to offer that can help us you know our motto at uh, mind rolling is how do we get to a life in balance and that's what we we really uh, focus on just uh, the yeah. the the uh, hit the ground kind of stuff in taking the esoteric teachings and perhaps giving them uh, a much more direct simple uh transmission so but you were in harvard and you well, left when you were 19. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Let's blame Ramdas on that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, tell us about that, though. What what prompted so, um, you? What were the things that prompted yeah. you to go, oh, wait a minute, there's something else be, besides the mind here at Harvard?
1: Well, you know, I was uh, like everybody else seeking and, you know, anxious about the state of the world and uh, why am I here? i look out the window and see everybody walking around madly to work and asking myself, am I going to have to become part of this madness? And I remember reading uh, Henry David Thoreau saying, quote, the society I'm made for is not here. And that really resonated with
0: me. Mm, I love but, that quote. That's
1: fabulous. But but one day I was walking in the hallway. Uh, I don't even know what I was doing. And I heard a voice coming from a classroom and And this voice attracted me. And I followed it, you know, wound around the corridor and I walk into this room and it's a tape recorder. And in those days, it wasn't even cassettes, it was a reel to reel tape recorder of Ramdas. Oh, really? (laughs) Who who had just come back from me. He had just come back. And I, I swear to God, it was like I was hit by a bolt of lightning. I just sat there, crestfallen. My jaw dropped open. It's like I've been waiting for my life to hear this, and that one moment changed everything. Wow! And, and you know, uh, was it forty years later something like that? Uh, I went uh, to see Ramses. I went to Hawaii. I think my friends got in touch with you Try, you know, get him a, you know, get him in there, and um, I told him, I, I told him the story. And I said, you know, after I heard you, I bought these tapes of yours. And I listened to them every day for hours and hours. I drove a taxi at night and listened to the tapes during the day. That was it. Wow. And um, before I made enough money to go to India. And in, in a beautiful, deprecating fashion, at the very end, before I, I left, he said, um, he said, those tapes those tapes were Maharaji. Because <laughs> he asked me, he said, do you, oh, do you have a relationship with Maharaji? Mm. And I said, well, I have a relationship with you. <laughs> and, um, and he just said, those tapes were Maharaji. Mm. And mm. I, I still mark that day as a, a, a day of um, rebirth, a day in which, a moment in which the entire trajectory of my life changed in an instant it's like I've been waiting for that moment everything previously had led me to that moment and what a ride it's been
0: no say the least I had the same moment Uh I probably used the exact same description as you Mm -hmm. I mean the same moment and and in fact when he says those tapes were Maharaji well in my experience I you know went over and wrangled him i gotta get there what i gotta see who this is and and, anyhow when i first that first moment when i saw maharaj i went oh shit that's what ram Das was all about (laughs) it was in my it was a thought in my head that i'll never forget you know so uh, that's
1: terrific i got got yeah i got a little bit sidetracked or when i say i the, the the memory of the ego dream um drove a cab, hitchhiked around the country looking for the Lama Foundation, never found it, <laughs> wound up in Paris and then through Paris to India. And um, I found myself uh, unexpectedly at home in India, like a, a rabbit got thrown in the briar patch. And I just said, oh, this, this is it. And I had a few acquaintances, Westerners, who had thrown their passports in the Ganges and declared themselves dead. <laughs> I was going to go that route. But again, fate intervened uh, in the form of a, a, an article by Carl Jung uh, talking about the necessity to work for your own cultural matrix. And um, when I read that article, I actually got angry, which is a good sign. You know, if something was stirred up. And within a year, I was back in the West. Uh, I finished up my undergraduate work at Columbia and I did graduate, I got a PhD in Columbia and I made, I created my own major of East West studies Mm. and then went on to do Indian languages and literatures and um, work with Barbara Stoller Miller who was like the great Rasika of Sanskrit studies. And um, yeah, and, and that was a ticket going back to go back and forth. Uh, to India. To India, yeah. Mm. Oh. Wow. Then ran, yeah, but that you know, then I ran into a whole different cast of characters, in of all places, New York City. Oh. And uh, you know, the first one uh, was I, I had come back from India, and I was in my twenties, young, you know, twenty-three. I I was very disoriented. I'd been traveling for seven years. And I was at this, I don't know if you remember, there was a Tree of Life bookstore in Harlem. It was kind of one of the early New Age, you know, African-American bookstores. And they were doing an Agni Hotra ceremony. I somehow I wound up there and I asked this woman next to me, do you know a place where people are meditating? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I shouldn't tell you this, but here's her phone number. And I called the number and this guy says, like, what do you want? (laughs) And I said, I want to meditate. Let me tell you about my background. He says, I don't care about your background. Be here tonight at 7.30. <laughs> so I wind up at this loft on Broadway and 85th Street, 7.30. I walk in, and there's a, a Sai Baba meeting going on, a mm. um, bunch of people. And, you know, it was beautiful, but i have been in, in India for years. i have been through the guru trips. You know, I said, I really don't need this, uh, you know, uh, Namaste. I'm walking out, and all of a sudden this guy walks in, Tall, lanky guy, Afro, and we just look at each other. He was the guy who had answered the phone. Oh. And he says to me, Wait, Hilda's coming. So uh I hung out and um all of a sudden Hilda walks in. And um the next thing I knew, uh I was hanging out with her. And what was so amazing to me about Hilda, aside from her eclecticism, you know, she embraced everything and everyone was, the, was the, her willingness to demystify spirituality and put it in, like, how do you buy something from the store? How do you answer a telephone? And also, how to, how to manifest money. She could, she could do that. And I <laughs> said, I'm going to hang out with this woman. Uh, and so I did for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, to finish this up, uh, someone would come through Hilda's who was really strung out whether it was drugs, psychosis, what, and she said, we have to take him to Orestes. I said, what's Orestes? And Orestes Valdez was a Cuban shamanic santo healer wow. who lived in Union City, New Jersey. In the back of this botanica, he specialized in like curing the incurable. And Hilda knew him, and as soon as he met us, uh, not as soon. It took a while. It took my friend Ron, the same guy I met going through the door to work with him. He had a special day for Westerners, for white folks, you know, and we'd come Monday night and he spoke broken English, but he he taught us uh, this other way of working. And it was a beautiful compliment because Hilda worked from the fourth chakra up, you know, everything was love and light, mm. you know. Orestes was the fourth chakra down. Uh, He he was like really rooted and he could deal with really tough stuff, you know. And whatever it was, like he he was there. Um, And he also, for me, was the first like living model, you know, someone I hung out with, of um, what the loving masculine is. Hmm. You know, there's so much of the devotion and the bhakti. It was like the loving feminine. But here's this guy just sitting there, you know, person after person, and just um, incredible patience and incredible power, and day after day, and um, it was great. So that was like a double formation.
0: Wow, Jesus! I never heard of him. And uh, you know, just uh, looking up some of what you've been doing, I did see him, and I was going to ask about him. What What were some of his methodology,
1: though? And it was fascinating because you know he was he had many lineages under his belt the afro-cuban santeria the spiritualist which is a little lighter but he also had the mayambe which is like you know animal sacrifice taking heavy spirits off of people which he generally would not do with us he just did the spiritualist work and his modality was it was fascinating from his perspective he was working with quote guides Discarnate entities like he'd say stuff like he used to call me Mr. Rick. Say, Mr. Rick, use your Indian, you know, Mr. Rick, use your African. And I had absolutely no idea what he's talking about, but I would play along. It was like, you know, play acting. Mm-hmm. And then some like amazing shit would happen, you know, and someone would and he'd say, Vamos, vamos, more power, good Mr. Rick. And mm-hmm. we sat with him like this for I think six years till he passed. Oh. And what I understood eventually was. It was a different type of teaching. During those six years, he never taught anything, you, he, but you modeled his body language and his and his vibratory rate. And eventually, um, I was able to kind of work in some of the realms that he worked with. But I understood that um, both Hilda and Oreste's were what Carl Jung would call pure intuitives. Mm. Now, Oreste's would sit you down on a table. Uh, with a crucifix on the wall, put your head in front of a bowl of water and tell you what you did last week. You know, um, Hilda would pick words out of the sky. You know, stuff out of the sky. And um, I was more in the Ram Dass mode. I had a mind, had an intellect. You know, what am I going to do with it? And, and in fact, sometimes when I was when I was with Orestes I was going to graduate school at the same time. So during breaks, I'd be reading, and people would complain, "Hey, Rick's breaking the energy." And Oreste was saying, no, that's what Miseric does.
0: <laughs>
1: so he really mm. honored your path. Mm. He, said, he said, you got to swim in your river, whatever it is. Otherwise, you drown. Mm. So I had to find a discipline that was both spiritual and mental. And I resonated. Somehow, I was presented with astrology. Oh. And I had dabbled in it, you know, in India for years, but I, I, I got serious. I studied with Eleanor Bach, the asteroid lady in New York. I had a knack for it, and it became my first upaya, my first way of working with people uh, that allowed me to think and use cultural symbols, but still be intuitive and be there with people just not on the same level as someone, as an intuitive or a therapist who's there day and night. Mm -hmm. And that's how um, my work started. And then so many people I worked with, the the painful place was career. You know, I've I've been to India and I've taken this yoga teacher training, what should I do with my life? And that got me interested in career and the whole path of karma yoga, which, eventually got turned into what was called the anti-career workshop which i did for years you know Mm. but it grew out of this painful it grew out of this moment of me looking out the window from my dorm at harvard and seeing people scurrying around and having a panic attack like what am i here for like am i gonna have to just run around go to work and die is this it you know and and um Nobody was speaking to that until I met Rambas. Well, I forget the first time he was speaking with all these Harvard, you know, and he was challenging. Them. He was in such a zone those, those years, you know, he was like, and he just said, like, well, you think you got it made, you got good grades, you got it made, you got high-vis clothes, you got it made, you got a great girl, and then he stops. He says, well, it turns out, if you think you're making it, you're not really making it at all. I went, oh, oh my God. Why did my m- mother tell me this? you know oh, Why did my teachers tell me that like, I've, like to this day I have such gratefulness for that transmission you know, for that moment in history. And I, I try to communicate that to people, but one thing I've understood, you can't reproduce an historical moment. You, you know there could not be a Ram Das now. there could not be a Hilda now. the the time has shifted but ha- I'm sure you know the people who sat with you know Neem Karoli Baba and Maharaji and the people who sat with Hilda, I mean we have this this grace that that stays with us and um, I just I, I, I'll, it was just amazing you know just amazing.
0: yeah you know the wild thing is that to this day, next generation people. I mean because I, I, as a director of the foundation I see you know mail gets directed, I, I see it or whatever. I just somebody just gave me be here now. oh my God I just I was I just took some mushrooms or ayahuasca <laughs> and you know it's a repeat, Rick, a yeah. complete repeat and awesome. and the parallels between you know that era that we were in, late 60s, early 70s, and what was going on. And, and there was a lot of conflict, and there was a lot of polarization. Uh, I think we're outdoing that now, but still there's a lot of similarities. And we, I talk to different people on this podcast about the parallels from back then to now and what's happening. And I actually I have real hope because I really believe that next generation now uh, is a lot more caring about uh, what is going on from the environment to our, our uh, what's going on in, in politics and in our social structure in general, Then we who back then I found, and it may be, uh, you know, there was just you were either into the political action thing or you were a spiritual, and that was it.
1: You know, I will second that uh in, you know, exclamation points. I get to see it every day because I work with 18 to 22-year-olds. Yeah. And I have a 25-year-old son. Mm. And I've watched him do his journey to India and do his, you know, and I, and I also hang out with um, communities of people who are in their 30s, um, who are ayahuasca communities. And um, what I see happening there, you know, in a group of 30 people, you have nine different nationalities, eight different colors, seven different languages. No one even thinks about it. You know it like those days you know it's it's a it's a real there really has been in my mind evolution uh, you know the challenge is always there but the awareness and it's it's more than the um, you know we had the east-west equation to reconnect with yeah and now they're connecting the north-south connection. Uh, which you know the, the reconnection to the earth and the earth medicines and and the plants and the animals and and you know what people I think mislabel the environment, you know this is the environment is everything, and and so it's interesting uh, when I saw Ramdas uh, a couple of years ago he asked me what I thought the quote spiritual movement you know what it really needs and. Um, I said three things, but I remember two of them. I said one is community, uh, and I, I think it was community, environmental awareness, and strong, uh, strong female leaders. Mm-hmm. And um, that's I see this happening, yeah. um, and they are so beyond. You know, um, my son went to India uh, for a year, and when he came back, I asked him, you know, well, what's your take on here? You know, what'd you get? And he said, you know. I went there looking for someone who was going to make it all right, mm-hmm. who was going to put the whole, and, and somewhere along the line, I realized like that wasn't going to happen. Like I had to be all right. And yeah. I said, wow, you're 23. I, I was 46 when that hit me, you know, that hit me. Uh, so yeah, I see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hey, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more. It's one thing that uh, has been lacking in terms of, uh, all the people that I've talked to over, over, over the years of doing this podcast, and, and really about right livelihood. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, the Buddhist term of it, but right. your ultimate anti-career guide. That, right. And by right. the way, uh, everybody, we'll have some nice links for some of Rick's uh, work on the uh, show notes page on Be Here Now Network at uh, Mind Rolling. So uh, talk about that. because
1: Okay. Uh, the first thing I, I love the stories of origins, you know, there are psychologists who say that the first five minutes reveals the whole rest of the relationship. You know, so how did it, you know, like meeting Ramdas? Well, I had been uh, kind of informally tracking sounds true because I like their stuff. And what I didn't know is that they had been tracking me. Mm-hmm. And at some point, Tammy Simon, who's the CEO yep. there, called me. And we got to talking, and she told me that she had recorded, she had done recording of Hilda. Oh. And and I said, really? And, and she knew that this would never sell. It was too far out. Mm. But she said, I heard her, and I broke down crying. Hmm. And I just felt this has to be recorded. So that to me that was the alignment like that's where I was supposed to be and the whole idea behind right livelihood to me is Is not about work per se. It's about the alignment of being in the right place at the right time And that when you have the faith and courage to do that You are supported to get what you need and share what you have to share And uh, you can't fake that, you know, you you can only surrender to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the other piece I got was I grew up with um, all these spiritual elevationists, uh, meaning they interpreted spirituality as being high. And I'll do anything to be high, you know. And of course, the problem with that, as Trungpa Rinpoche pointed out many times, then you're always afraid of getting low, yeah. as, as Ramdas also, yeah. you know, realized. So, can we build? Can we create a culture that supports with our livelihood and our the way we consume and the way we build and share a way of opening to spirit? Um, does work have to be something completely antithetical to my soul? Do I have to really sacrifice my soul to succeed in the workplace? And I realized early on that we were up against a couple of thousand year old paradigm that separated spirituality and the world. And you know, to me, that paradigm was over. It's been over for a while. And um, at least since Aurobindo, you know, talked about bringing the supermind down instead of going back up. And so the question is not so much, what should I do? Uh, the question is, how can I open myself to the life force that I'm doing what I need to do to be the, make the greatest contribution I can make? And that takes a, a lot of patience, humility, and, and faith. But it works. I've had, I've seen in my own lives and lives of people around me, I've seen amazing miracles. I'm not saying, you know, oh, do this one, it's a miracle. But I've seen things that contravent the laws of sense and sensibility when you're supposed to be somewhere. I remember KD talking about when Neem Krolli Baba, when Maharaji was, they they were at the um, Kumbh Mela in Allahabad. And he's told everyone to make a big bandara. The bus is coming tomorrow. Meanwhile, they were a couple of hundred miles away, having this, this heated debate: should we go? Should we not go? Should we go? Should we not go? Meanwhile, he's got he's got them ready. You know, got the whole thing ready. Mm-hmm. And when I was in graduate school, I I got a Fulbright to go to India, oh. um, but in order to to go, I had to pass a German exam, yeah. which is not an easy thing, uh, especially someone who's not inherently good in languages and. Few people passed it the first time, and I did not pass it. And a couple of weeks later, I got a letter in the mail from Swami Ganananda, Swami Gananda, who was a mentor of mine in India. He said, I'll see you soon. So I just figured I'm going. <laughs> and uh, like a week later, the German teacher, I don't know, from a hole in the wall, calls me up and says, I spoke with the chair of the department, and we decided that your exam wasn't quite fair because everyone there is an art history student. We give them an art history exam. We should give you a religion exam. So they gave me another exam. They asked me to translate a passage of Max Weber talking about Buddhism, which you didn't even have to know German to translate that passage. Passed the exam, went to India, Mm -hmm. and and did what I had to do. And I've seen these interventions not because I wanted to, but because... You know, just tuning in with what what is the what is the Tao of my life? And you know, I, I and I think the, the one of the big problems in the American consciousness is um, the pressure to be a star. Uh, there are all these workshops on leadership everywhere you go. I've never seen a workshop on followership. You know, <laughs> <laughs> leadership. Uh, uh, and yet, I was just with uh, I, met, I don't know if you ever met him. Uh, Radhanath Swami.
0: Yeah, yes, I
1: yeah. do know. Very cool, you yeah, know. very sweet. This kind of a sweet man. And, you know, he was telling me that for eight years he was sitting in the ISKCON community of Nubrandavan chopping wood. No one knew him from a hole in the wall. And after eight years, the head of the community walked up to him and kicked him out <laughs> and, and put him on a bus with no money, with nothing. And, you know, Krishna will take care of you. And, and and you know the destiny that has unfolded there, uh, you couldn't write a book. It's no. not a matter of intention, uh, but I think that I think the the intent is that's important. Is I remember Ramdas talking about I, I forgot the name of the channel, but the the one of the channels he worked with told him about being on the earth. Hey, Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel, right? You know you signed up. Why don't you take the course? Yeah, take the course. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the course here is for most people, not everyone, but most people, the course is like working as part of the course. And um, is that work leading you toward uh, jnana, bhakti, or is it leading you toward ambition and resentment? That's the only thing that matters. Mm. Uh, and I found again and again that when I've gone with the heart and, and listened to the signs, um, there's a place that needs you. He'll to say it. There's a place where you need to be. Just see those places coming together. And that's kind of what I've been working with like the mechanics of um, integrating your practice with kind of some kind of sane livelihood situation that allows you to do what you need to do and still take responsibility for living on this plane.
0: Yeah. Just, I have a young friend, and he is an incredibly creative young man, Mm. and and he's been working as an electrician, I mean, all the way from being stock boy to actually doing some electronic work, and uh, he, you know, has had a, a difficult time with the tedium and boredom that takes place in this job and you know what he really wants to do is his art is crafts and whatever and that's not available because he's got a partner and they're you know like everybody trying to support themselves so i mean it's it's easy for me to say and and i totally am with you i mean uh with emptying yourself of the polarities and moving to a place where you're more connected with the in, that intuitive heart and the true place that we, we can have a perspective from. And from that place, just open to the potential coming together of opportunity and, uh, and, and creative force that can just manifest the right thing for you in, in any one day that can happen instead of focusing on, Oh shit, I got to this drudgery thing that I got to go into day to day to day. Yet it's very Uh, difficult to, it's easy to say those words and it's another thing to live those words. And what do you tell people?
1: Yeah. I, I tell them and I tell myself, I see the drudgery as part of your initiation. Hmm. You've got, you, you know, You've got to you've got to go through the fire before you have any credibility. Uh, Daskalos, Stelianos Sotischlos, the great healer from Cyprus. They wrote all these books about him. The Magus of Strovolos, mm-hmm. well, extraordinary never, spiritual healer. Yeah. He worked for eleven years.
0: Can you say his and, name again? Because well, I've never they heard.
1: call him Daskalos, D-A-S-K-A-L-O-S, which means teacher in Greek. His name—don't ask me to spell it—is Stelianos Atishlis. (laughs) The name of the first book about him that was really popular was called *The Magus of Strovelos: The Extraordinary World of a Spiritual Healer*. Wow! When when was
0: he alive, man? I
1: I think he passed in the early, in the mid '90s.
0: Oh, oh, so it's it's
1: yeah, recent, yeah. I mean, I met him. I talked to him, and he talked about eleven years working as a lithographer in an office doing the most boring job and he saw this as part of something that he had to complete from a you know unfinished karmic whatever you want to call it seed likewise hilda often spoke about uh how during world war II, she worked as a switchboard operator
0: no, I didn't
1: know and you remember the old switchboards you plug the yeah, thing in yeah. The only difference with Hilda was she said, I'd unplug the thing and Ramakrishna would come out of the switchboard. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and uh, so I, I don't, I, I think it's very important to go through the drudgery and prove that you're doing the best job you can. You know, Wei Nang, the fifth patriarch, you know, he was threshing rice in the, in the kitchen, you know, just minding his own business. Uh, whoever wrote Goodwill Hunting must have known that story. It's the same story on mm-hmm. Matt Damon's Way On. But um, the other thing is, in America, the pressure to be a star is the pressure of the youth culture. And young people think, if I hadn't made it by 27, I'm toast. And the first thing I generally tell um, people in younger bodies is, look, your Saturn return happens around age 28, 29. Until then, you're just on on training wheels. So <laughs> absorb it, learn it. Don't try to go out of the gate too fast. It's a you know, I was just I was just with Tom Brown, Wilderness Survival School. And he talks about his teacher, grandfather stalking elk. When he met him, he was seven years old. Stalking elk was 87. Um I I think we a lot of this is from the the American ethos of we want the world and we want it now. Whereas Daskalos, one of his most used phrases was endless patience. Say that again. Endless patience. Endless patience. Endless patience. Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, And I often go back to this, the uh, apocryphal story of Moses in the Bible when Supposedly he was a shepherd and he lost one sheep and he went after that sheep and got him and God said He's my man. <laughs> you know, so I I think that the grunt, you know, whether it's washing dishes or You know, I think that's part of our initiation mm-hmm. And you know, part of the I think the pain like joseph campbell writes like in his youth and ken wilbur did this too when you you leave school. You can wash dishes. You can you can do stuff and then work on yourself. Now there's such economic pressure. You know these 23 year olds worried about their 401ks. You know it's. Uh, I think the challenge. I think the confidence is to get out of that uh, that rat race. I have to succeed now. Pressure and and open to the fact that you have a destiny. You know, Ramdas said many things that totally changed my life. But I was sitting there and all of a sudden he just pops out of his mouth. He said, said, you know, if you stop thinking about the future, do you think it's all gonna be chaos? Yeah. Said, oh my I said, oh. <laughs> like again, <laughs> someone threw someone threw a thunderbolt at me. And that's that to me is um, is what I tell them. Mm. And I see it. Mm. It's not, you know, Robert Bly uh, used to talk about the flying boys. People who got their spiritual wings at too young of an age without really getting the social skills and uh, going through the fire. And what they tend to do is fly too near the sun and burn themselves. Mm. And Bly blamed that on the fact that America had lost a generation of elders because after the incredibility of Vietnam, like no one trusted the elder generation. Yeah. Uh, but for whatever reason, um, you know, the nice thing about that is, whatever you're going to be, you're going to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, just to move sideways a little bit, but not really. You wrote something that I happened to pick up a blog called Peace, Presence, and Prema years ago. And I think it was probably around New Year's. And, uh, you know, the people, okay, now we're going to make a resolution that we're going to be this, that, and the other and move forward. And then ultimately, unfortunately, uh, the vast repetition of the uh, uh, habitual patterns, I don't know if you use that word, but just... And basically the repetition of the story that we tell ourselves right. over and over is very, very difficult to cut through. And of course, that has a lot to do with what we were just talking and what you've been talking about in terms of, of work, uh, the, the vast and... Uh, overwhelming story that we believe in about ourselves is very 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 difficult.
1: It's heavy conditioning and you know I've I've met and worked with from both sides an artist and a scientist hmm. who both come up with the same thing. There's a man in um, Lee McCluskey in Malibu California a visionary artist and right after 9/11 he just had this he said we've got to tell ourselves a new story. And he went into a room and he started painting the room. Hmm. One room: the ceiling, the floor, the books, and he's still painting it. And he painted like the creation, and and he walks you in there and takes you through the creation, and it's um, it's quite it's quite amazing. Hmm. And um, one of the I which was the who was the um, I'm I'm blanking on his name, but the the priest uh, John, uh, Thomas Berry, environmental, he said the exact same thing. He said. We've got to tell ourselves a new story. I mean, this Big Bang stuff is, just think how absurd a story people are walking in, you know. And the the thing that's so hard with this is you can get up on network television tonight and you can lay out, you know who killed Kennedy. You know what really happened with the World Trade Center. You know how the AIDS uh, virus really started. You could have the truth out there and tell it. And it wouldn't make a difference because that's one droplet of information with a flood of you know oh, you know overwhelming it you know um, drowning out the flood of the popular, samsaric story that is controlling the mass mind, and yeah, I think the challenge is to create workable stories.
0: Well, and also it's uh, extraordinarily important. To cut to cut to the chase around that perspective of the me, I've been doing a bunch of podcasts around how are we going to deal here with the mini me? Uh, Krishnas calls it this. Mini-me. We wake <laughs> up in the morning with the movie of me. We've been doing a lot around the movie right. of me, and once you know that has to be cut at its roots, and and that's basically for me. That's what you're talking about here, and. Yes. A peace presence and permit. Well, you know, presence, and you know, we were just talking about Ram Dass talking about being the now, future, past, etc. So, well, you know,
1: I yeah, I hear, yeah I'm sorry. I'm,
0: no, no, go ahead. So yeah, yeah. presence is so uh, extraordinarily important. I mean, to this day, uh, uh, and I know that you have in well. Uh, So many people that you have encountered from your days in India, from your just travels and so on, being with just it's a great example to be with a being that is not lost in a the story of me is not lost in the future or the past that rubs off enormously in the moment and has a lot to it has. I mean, obviously, I had that grace to be with the Maharani Karoli Baba. And then he left us this incredible saint uh, Sidima, and um, and I would I I go I have gone to India just about every year since those years, to just have that rub off and and as a gigantic reminder about presence. So uh, to me, presence is uh, to develop that, uh, to have it rub off, and to just cultivate it within ourselves uh, is uh, uh, an extraordinary. Uh, Uh, antidote to the habitual patterns to the movie of me, basically.
1: You know, absolutely. Uh, My lesson with that, my story with that was um, in the early 80s, I went to Tiruvannamalai to see the great Yogi Ramshirat Kumar Mm. um, Mm -hmm. who was holding the energy of Ramana Maharshi. And, you know, he was in the guise of a beggar and living in this room filled with litter. And I walked in there and he... He looks at me, lights a candle in front of me. The minute he lights the candle, every light in the village goes off. And and before I'd gone to see him, I'd gone to the temple and I made an offering. You know how they give you garlands? They give me some. Yeah. And I had this list of questions like, is the world going to end? You know, what path should I take? And I had this whole list. And he just looks at me and he says, what's in the bag? <laughs> yeah. And I said, but the world, Maharaj, the world's going to said, what's in the bag? And I realized, like, I had thoughtlessly stuffed this garland in the bag. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, you know, and this has been my lesson in presence. Uh, instead of like, you know, the Jnani way of deconstructing the self, you know, the Bhakti way of overwhelming it in ocean of love, to me, the Tantric way has been sweeping the floor, preparing the meal. Connecting to the environment that this stuff matters The plants in the garden matter the bird outside matters the cat matters and all of a sudden when everyone matters You know this me is one of seven billion humans a gazillion other living beings, you know, what's the big deal? and that's really uh, I'm really working on that now like my whole um, Practice now is literally staying home Mm. and seeing how can the universe reveal itself to me in the most mundane acts um and and that to me is um like the maha nirvana tantra comes through doing the dishes it's just, it's very simple or as philip glass put it turns out the pie in the sky is the same as the pie in your refrigerator I like that <laughs> <laughs> that's a great uh
0: and in uh, and your other two um, thoughts here are of course aside from presence or peace uh, and prema uh, which uh, is a diffi- which translates as love from sanskrit but it is nothing to do with the business of love that we have created uh, in in it's not in the west it's everywhere but certainly so predominant in the west and and our best the best attempt at it is unconditional love where there is no business and uh, certainly cultivating that is, you
1: know, we're lucky. We're not lucky. I guess we have good, whatever it is,
0: good, some scars,
1: it's grace Mm. that we ran into people who were, who loved who the, the love shined through them. Mm. I love that. uh, The phrase by, um, uh, what's the name? The doctor in Mickey Lemming's um, movie. Mm. Uh, Dr. V. Yeah. Where he says, he says, when I was, it went, the, the amazing thing of, about being with Maharaji was not that he loved everybody. Oh,
0: Dr. Brilliant. Larry Brilliant. 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 Yeah,
1: Larry, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. not yeah. it that when I was with him, I loved everybody. Yeah,
0: that's the greatest takeaway.
1: Yeah. That's the Absolutely. That, yeah. And Hilda, and I remember once Hilda got up in front of us, she said, she said, kids, she called everyone. Kid. Yeah. I know she's,
0: she's, well, you, I I haven't told you, and I don't. I hate to interrupt okay. you in this moment, but we probably were together many a oh time I'm at wrong. Saint Mark's Church, wow. right? Okay. I
1: came right afterward. After oh, Saint you came Mary.
0: after Saint I came Mark.
1: Came when they moved to the Saint John the Divine. Oh, okay. So I missed well, the Ramas uh, Hilda Lila. You know, uh-huh. Fortunately, but um no, I just one time one day you said, "Kids, I remember the day when I realized." I am love, kids. I don't need to see love out there. I am love. (laughs) And she, oh my God. Like, wow. And I feel like we're so blessed because I feel there's a lot of quote spirituality out there. And it goes under different names. They call it tantra, they call it jnana, they call it, they call it but I don't feel the, the love, you know, without that prema, without that overwhelming heart, I just, to me, like the greatest suffering is when you know everything, but you don't have the love. Like that's like hell. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like even Ramdas talking about very early on, he said, it may well indeed be that, you know, we need, like bhakti is the way in Kali Yuga because the ego is so pernicious. You need something to overwhelm. That and um, just the fact that the Ananda Ma and Maharaji and you know Ramana Mahar that these people could demonstrate that this is a real, this isn't a dream. This is a, this is a, mm. and it's not a state beyond this. That's what I've been fighting. Mm. You know, am I? You know, can you can you make the can you make the sandwich with love? Then you've made it. <laughs> yes, yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. Uh, Did you ever run into James
1: Hillman? The no, episode. I
0: know who he is, but I have not.
1: I always admired him very much. And I, you know, people I admire try to hang out with. And I mm. finally brought, brought to Vassa once. And he had this, the most incredible take on the crucifixion and, really? and, and hence love that I ever heard. He said, said, the whole thing about the crucifixion is that Jesus is betrayed by God. Like he thought he had this great mission, you know, here I am. And look what, you know, why, why has thou forsaken me? And Hillman said, look, if you've been betrayed and you can still love, mm. then you've made it, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's Whoa, interesting then you've made it. Uh, that's far
0: out. Now we've been talking about Hilda. Mm. And just, I think I'd really like to share a little bit so people get an idea of, 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 of experiencing this extraordinary woman. And um, to me, the most everlasting memory I have of her is her, her connection to Swami Nichananda. Oh my God! Yeah. And uh, he, in well, certainly in, in my mind, and we're since I'm the one here talking, <laughs> I won't say anybody else's mind, was very much like Neem Karoli Baba in that he was not he was not living in duality. He didn't teach per se. He he was an is. Yeah. And he is an is. He is an is. He is an is. <laughs> is, an is. And. um uh, now I know you. You got to know the story better, but can you tell the story of when she yeah. went and actually met him?
1: Well, it starts when she's 15 years old, and she's in her room doing pranayam, and she's like blasting off, and all of a sudden this guy with a, in a loincloth and a belly appears in her room and says, "Stop!" And she had no idea who he was, and she stopped. And then, like, 25 years later, something like that, she's in a taxi cab in what was then Mumbai. And you know how taxi cab drivers in India, they keep... Then Bombay, of, now Mumbai. Yeah, i then Bombay, yeah. yeah. Keep pictures of the gurus. Yeah, yeah, on. yeah. And she saw him she said, that's the man! That's the man who came to me! Take me to that man! And um, so the driver, you know, this is India. Okay. Go and to puri And Ganeshpur, Nityananda, and Nityananda saw her. And all he never spoke a word to Hilda. He just grunted. Yeah. Went, <clears throat> and she went into Samadhi. She broke he broke her through. Right. And In um, one second. And she'd never see him again. That was it. That was that was the transmission.
0: But she went went to the back of the line because there was a line <laughs> passing through for yeah. Darshan. <laughs> and yeah. she went around to the back yeah. after she came yeah. out of Samadhi. Yeah.
1: Okay. But uh, here's the interesting thing, which you haven't probably, I don't know. Years ago, I was in Ganesh Puri and I found a manuscript uh, of a conversation between Hilda and Muktananda. And it was who was Nityananda's disciple. And it was right before Hilda was going to leave India and go to the West. And Hilda was being a very dutiful student. She said, Swamiji, I'm going to the West. I don't know what to do. This is the lineage of anti career. And Muktananda said, Mother Shakti is awake and alive in you. It'll all be done. And that was like, whoa, you know. Uh, and that's indeed what happened. Um, she had no plans. She was sitting at Horn and Hardart's Cafeteria on 42nd Street, and somebody looked in the windows, my God, that's Hilda, come to my house, and the whole thing started. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, she considered Nityan under that moment to be, whatever you want to call it, her sat guru. Yeah but the the other beautiful thing about you know with Hilda, that she was willing and able to learn from so many people she said whenever she went to india whenever she saw a red flag you know which above the temple not the communist party <laughs> she'd go there you yeah, know right. and she was with sai baba and madhavananda and and, and ananda maima and and um yeah she was um totally resonant with just receiving what they, what they had. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I, it's what I, that's how I've heard it from her.
0: Yeah. And, and her sharing, I have never been in the presence of somebody, uh, West, a teacher from the West, shall we say, uh, that absolutely was so positive in the positive moment now, in the positive now moment. uh, I I can't think of any other word that that describes it more aptly. And uh, she, in fact, said, and uh, this is something I picked up when I went to the site, uh, and a lot of people, out, uh, you know, many of the listeners, and people think about, well, how am I gonna find somebody like you've met? Where does the guru appear to me? And how do I know if it's right? There are so many um, teachers that come and uh, you know, they take advantage of people and so on. It's very difficult in, in, today, in today's day and age. And Hilda, after she found Nityananda, she said, when you find your own, and in this case she meant finding Nityananda, you know it in your heart your heart stops looking around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It may be Jesus. It may be the truth, just the truth inside yourself, kind of an Advait thing, right? But when you find it, you don't have to ever look anymore. And how simple that is and how true that is.
1: Well, let me, if you may, if, if you may allow me yes, to share sure. share some of the dark side of this, because I think it's important. Yeah. I was talking about this the other day. You know, there are some people who spend their lifetime resenting the betrayal by their ex-lovers. Yeah. But there are other people, uh, I am, I've i often counted myself among them, who can spend a lifetime like, resenting the Im- imagined betrayal of ex-spiritual teachers. Mm. And at some point you come to the, the realization that Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Deva Maheshvara, Guru Shaksha, Param Brahma, Sasmai, Shi Guru that Guru is the Shaksha, is the witness, right? The eternal self in all, but who appears in different forms. And those forms are going to be limited to the space and time they appear in. And therefore, um you know, we got to forgive our parents. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you know, we won't forgive ourselves. And this idea of looking for the perfect person. I think I remember Ram Dass talking about how when he came back and started talking about Maharaji, people ran to see him. And some people who didn't have the karma to really see him just saw an old man in a blanket. Yeah. Um, I. You know, um, so the another side of Hilda was she was very positive and in her own words honey bunny boo with the 350 person class but if she let you into her house that means you're giving her license to tear you apart in a in a you know in a good way loving I, 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 yeah. I was there yeah <laughs> i remember like she wants to call this guy bill she said oh bill how is your meditation dear and he said oh hilda i saw this angel and i had this teaching from the masters and hilda just looks at it and says you're a goddamn liar, Bill. Oh,
0: and like, boom. <laughs> you know,
1: and I, so the first night I went to Hilda's small class, you know, someone said, "Ask her if you can come." I, oh, yeah, come, dear. And I'm sitting very inconspicuously in the middle of all these people, and she says, "Now we're going to meditate." And all I did, I swear, I scratched my nose for a second. And she stopped the whole class. She no. says, "We don't move here. We don't scratch. Get over and sit on the side." Oh, wow. <laughs> Which I did. And at the end, you know, all these, you know, you know, the loony Hilda people came over to me and they said, Oh, you got so much grace. Oh, you got so much grace. And then Hilda came over to me at the end. She said, Oh, you don't mind. They yelled at you, do you dear? And I said, no Hilda. And But when she did that, it was like, do you remember the movie Dune where those, the, mm. they had the voice, you know, when Hilda got you with the voice, the voice you could yeah. really feel, I, I don't know how else to say it, the shit getting knocked out of you. Mm. I'll tell <laughs>
0: you, I'll tell you, this is how crazily to even tell this story, but I was in her house uh-huh. and I had a, this is so embarrassing. I had a terrible acne. I had a pimple right in my third eye oh and I, I must've, I walked around the whole time with all these people in the apartment. Hi, hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and my hand over my pimple. She walks and I was in the kitchen. She walks in the kitchen. She looks at me. I didn't have my hand in front of it. Right. I was just eye to eye with her. She said, oh, my dear, what <laughs> is that in the middle of your forehead? Your new third eye? <laughs> I died. I died. And in the process, she took away all that self-consciousness yeah, about body bullshit. <laughs> yeah.
1: I went through a period a couple of weeks, a few weeks, whatever, where I was like being... Um, obsessively vegan mm. and every time i came to hilda's house she seemed to be making a grilled cheese sandwich <laughs> and she always said oh don't give it to rick he doesn't eat that you know I just, <laughs> mm-hmm. she was great like that she mm. was so tuned in Cutting to through bullshit. Yeah. Was. there was a yogi who once came from india to he, he was doing the circuit you know and he came to her house and he was the archetypal he had long black hair and a long red dress and a crystal mala And he walked out, Namaste, Mother Hilda. And Hilda looked at him and she said, you know, he said that she had a voice like a cackling witch. (laughs) And she said, Swami, that's a real nice mala you got on Swami. I bet you the girls really like that
0: mala.
1: (laughs) He literally fainted. (laughs) He was in bed for five days, you know, Uh he just nailed him. And Uh uh, that was her work, you know. Uh, Wow, man. Mm. What a, you know, can you imagine like the courage that it took? Uh, especially being a woman you know in those days you know just to get up there and and just say it as she as she felt it say it like it is and um, talk about stories you know her story was so much different than my story I said whoa I got, you know, there's an invisible in this living room. (laughs) How (laughs) many, you know, so on. Right. (laughs) Right. Well,
0: she was invested in the present moment and not in the past of her story before or after.
1: And she was also she wasn't invested in what you were. Mm. She was invested, she saw what you could be. She Mm. looked at me, she said, it's funny. She didn't ask me. First she said, kid, what do you want? And I said, well, I just want God, Hilda. And she said, well, that's nice, but what are you going to do, kid? It's like she's giving me, you know, my, my life's work. I said, well, I don't know, Hilda. I don't know what to do. I'm, I was selling peanuts in the street. And she just looked at me. She said, no, kid, I want to know what you're going to do. And and then she looks at me and says, you're going to be a professor, professor of Sanskrit. I said, what? And it's like she could look at you. Really? And I think it's because she had no agenda of, of herself. Mm. She yeah. could see what you could be, and she opened a doorway. Mm
0: which is another extraordinary comment when you stop being that uh, mini-me, when you stop that, as the Buddhists call it, which I love the term, self-cherishing. Self-cherishing. All things open up in all ways. So, yeah. I could tell you a good
1: one about Danny. I don't think he'd be embarrassed. I told him on his podcast, but it just shows you like the mini-me, a lot in the hilda day and you know those days a lot of people's mini me was i am spiritual yeah you know i do this i meditate and so there were eight of us in hilda's room and she goes around asking each person what's happening in their life and one person says you know i'm seeing this master i'm doing this technique and she gets to danny and he's clearly embarrassed and he starts fumbling and and finally says well hilda I have a, a, a you know a, a deal on the table, a record deal on the table for like a million dollars, which in those days was really money. And he like, he fudged it, you know, he was embarrassed to say it in front of all these so-called spiritual people. Hilda stopped the whole show. And she said, kid, I want to hear you say it. And I want you to say it with power. A million dollars, kid. And she made him say it like 10 times, <laughs> you know, and she just affirmed, his karmic potential mm. and don't be intimidated about by, by what you think is appropriate, but be who you are. She modeled that for me. Mm. You know, people wanted, all these yogis wanted to make her the mother of their ashram. You know, they wanted to give her names. She said, I'm just plain old Hilda. Mm. Even Sai Baba told her, said Hilda, don't, you know, the story she says, don't come back to the West. You'll get nothing but trouble. Mm. And she came back and did her thing. So 12 years later, she goes back to Sai Baba's with all her students and Sai Baba gives him an interview and she knew this was the moment, you know, and Sai Baba in a very stern voice says, so Hilda, what are you teaching them? And she knew like, you know, this is it, you know, and she said, oh, Baba, I'm just teaching him baby stuff. And like the whole energy broke and he smiled and, the whole thing, she didn't have to uphold herself. There's nothing to uphold. Right.
0: Beautiful, right there. That's such a powerful thing. There is nothing to uphold. And when we can get to that, boy, everything opens up, huh?
1: Sorry, Ramdas is so refreshing, you know, because you know, he, he he didn't come back from India saying I'm enlightened, you know, I'm I'm free from all my he, he just opened up his humanity. He had the he had the abundance to do that yeah and i was so touched when i saw him two years ago because he's changed he the, that personality the effervescent the talk is gone and he's just in the pure presence mm. i was seeing divine beings around him. i see mm. my god mm. you know he kept doing the work he's yeah. like yeah i was so grateful to yeah him.
0: i say to people Ramdas is what he was talking about. Exactly, he yeah. is
1: what he's talking yeah. about. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rick, this has been fantastic. This oh, a lot shot of through uh, uh, our our uh, podcast uh, like nothing here. We could go on, and w- we will. Let's do this more sometime. So I'm so happy to share this with you. Uh, finally, uh, finally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me leave you with a question. Yes. Not a spirit. It's a question I'm working on. And mm. if you ever want to talk about it, or I, mm. I think Michael Taft is around, but I call it the question of totem and technology. On one hand, a lot of teachers are sharing the, the genuine earth-based wisdom, uh, how to do things, how to live close to the earth, how to respect the water. And it's, it's beautiful. On the other hand, we have podcasts, we have computers, we're all cyborgs. The evolution of technique is incontrovertible. It's it's not an accident. Um, is there any way that these two can come together, something like Darwin and the Bible, you know, and yeah. in the positive, yeah, yeah. instead of a repeat of Atlantis, yeah. yeah, which they, you know, tore the thing apart. That's yeah. what I'm working on right now.
0: Okay. That's a deal. Okay, and I have one more for you that I'm going to bring, uh, and we'll do this some other time, but I have to bring my wife into this because I mentioned that I was going to do a podcast with you, and I said that you had been involved with astrology for quite some time, and she is also very much of a student of astrology and her name is sarah swati so that that's kind of puts her in the name. right kind uh-huh. of place Indeed. and uh she said well how about talking about astrology and spirituality and the path and i said okay but now we've run out of time so i'm i'm thinking i'm gonna get her here and the three of us will have a chat i would about love that. to do how that. About that
1: i love that
0: okay that's a deal we're gonna do it Thank you so much, Rick. so and
1: glad to meet you. It's been a while, you know, waiting a while. Yeah, it's really. Well yeah, worth the
0: wait. Well worth the wait. And uh, everybody, uh, we will be putting uh, all of the different ways in which you can share or receive some of what uh, Rick has had to, uh, offerings that he's had over the years, and uh, particularly uh, the Ultimate Anti-Career Guide, which I think many of us can uh, certainly take advantage of, and much more. And that'll be on the mind-rolling show notes for this episode on BeHereNowNetwork.com. So we shall see you next time again. Namaste.
1: Namaste, Raghu.